Remember November 7th, 2020? You had people discovering that Joe Biden was going to win the election and just bursting out of their houses and going out into the streets and dancing and and making noise and high-fiving each other. Best day of my life, best day of the year. This was happening in cities across the country. Uh, people were celebrating in a way you just don't see anymore. And and I thought that was an important moment to recall because it captured the joy that people felt about Biden winning, which was not really about Biden's program. People were just thrilled that Donald Trump was going to go. January 20th is going to be trash day at the White House because we're going to get rid of that orange piece of trash how people went from jubilant to totally jaded and how Biden could maybe win him back coming up on Today Explained. Support for Today Explained comes from Vanta. Vanta knows that when it comes to ensuring that your company has top-notch security, things can get very complicated. Now you can assess risk, secure the trust of your customers, and automate compliance with a single platform, and that platform is... Vanta. Vanta can help you continuously monitor compliance alongside reporting and tracking risk, plus quickly complete security questionnaires with Vanta AI. According to Vanta, thousands of global companies use Vanta to automate evidence collection, unify risk management, and streamline security reviews. You can learn more by watching Vanta's on-demand demo at vanta.com slash explained. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash explained. This week on The Gray Area, Stephen Markley, author of the novel The Deluge, on why he was compelled to write an epic book about climate change. If 50 years from now we have used this period in history to turn the corner on the climate crisis, and you and I and everybody listening to this was a part of that, that is an incredible way to spend one's life. That's This Week on The Gray Area, available wherever you get your podcasts. Today explains Sean Ramos from Presidente Joe Biden easily won the South Carolina primary this weekend. But maybe you've heard he's got a polling problem. When you ask folks, hey, if it's the general election and it's Trump versus Biden in our poll, Donald Trump now leads Joe Biden by five points. A recent CBS News poll shows 77 percent of black voters would back the president down 10 points from 2020. One of our pollsters tells us. We are looking at a, quote, presidency in peril. Jonathan Chait's been writing about Biden's re-election prospects for New York Magazine. I mean, what I'm trying to argue is just a general collapse of the political willpower necessary to keep Trump out. That basically in 2020, people were so concerned about the threat of Trump that they were willing to make compromises, support a candidate who didn't give them everything they wanted, um, and put aside the normal priorities that they were concerned about in order to get behind the one cause of getting Trump out of the White House. And to an extent, they've forgotten about him. To an extent, the political discipline that that required has exhausted them, and they're not willing to keep it up anymore. So their priorities have risen back to the surface, and the priority of of stopping Trump has sunk relatively. So people are just more concerned about other things now, both on the left and, and, and in the center. Let's start with the left before we move to the center. What happened to the coalition on the left? You write in the piece 
that it was a hard-won coalition for Joe Biden even back in 2020. You had a sense toward the end of the Obama administration and through the Trump era that the left was ascendant within the Democratic Party. That assumption dominated all the political coverage of the Democratic Party. Decision 2020, where Senator Bernie Sanders leads the pack in a new NBC national poll. Everybody, including me, wrote off Joe Biden for that reason. Former Vice President Joe Biden is in second, but dropped 11 points since last month. So Biden wins the nomination in 2020 suddenly and into most people surprisingly. And there's the shock on the left. I would rather have Biden than Trump, but I would rather have Bernie a hundred times more than Biden. <laughs> I feel that it's important to vote blue just because it's a step in the right direction, but I really, really don't want to vote for Biden. But then Biden starts bringing the left aboard. He creates a unity commission to build a new platform, and he brings the left aboard. So today I am asking all Americans to come together in this campaign to support your candidacy, oh. which I endorse. But for a time period, the left is pretty enthusiastic about Biden. But for various reasons, this situation doesn't last forever. Yeah, how does this coalition between Biden, Bernie Sanders, all of their followers start to unravel? Well, one reason is there's just a natural tendency on the left to have difficulty in power. Um, the right doesn't have this problem. When conservatives are in power, the conservatives will say, everything's wonderful, we've saved the country, we're in prosperity. When conservatives are out of power, they'll say, everything's terrible, the country's a disaster, we need to save it. The left can't quite flip that easily. They will say how everything's terrible when they're out of power. But when they're in power, they don't want to say everything's great, because that diminishes, in their minds, the impetus to solve more problems. In their minds, that fosters complacency and reduces the the impetus to to have more aggressive social reforms. So you've never been able to get the left just fully on board under Democratic administrations saying, it's morning again in America, the way Republicans can. <laughs> Biden has some deeper problems than some of the other Democratic presidents, though. Mainly the inflation surge of, of 2021 to 22 just tanks his approval rating and sends him much lower than anybody thought he would go. And when your approval rating starts to drop, it creates different incentives for your political allies, especially when those allies are involved in factional struggles. So that dynamic, which I think is endemic within the left, but really has been worse for Biden, has been dragging him down over the past year. So you've one of the ways in which this has manifested itself is that progressives have really gone all in on um, doomer economic messaging. Hmm. We're currently in a silent depression, deeper than the 1930s, and it's only going to get much worse in 2024 and 2025. We're white liberals. We'll gaslight others and ourselves into believing that life is significantly better under Biden, despite the fact that we're all struggling to feed our families and pay our bills. Reinforcing how terrible the economy is, in part because they see that as advancing progressive goals of pushing reform, but also in part because this helps them in their factional fight against the centrists. See, the the centrist president, Joe Biden, did the wrong things. And that's why you need to put a real progressive de Democrat in charge of the party. And he's seen a lot more painful response from the left wing of the Democratic Party since 
October 7th, 2023. The Hamas attacks in Israel were a real inflection point for his coalition. And ironically, it's hit him in, in two completely contrary ways. On the one hand, you have a significant number of moderates who supported Biden, but have been horrified by the rise of left-wing protests and have associated those with the Democratic Party and have been pulled toward the Republican Party in reaction against those protests. Meanwhile, those protesters actually hate Joe Biden and in some cases are pushing explicitly to defeat him as a response to the Biden administration's support for Israel. Refusing to vote for someone funding a genocide is the morally correct stance, point blank period. Democrats should be scared because we're not voting for you. I will not be voting for Joe Biden this year and neither will you. We've been focused on the left of the party. Let's talk about moderates, be they Democratic moderates, Republican moderates, moderates who maybe voted for Trump in 2016, but voted for Biden in 2020. How is he doing there? I think an important aspect of this phenomenon in the center is that some of the mainstream Republicans who used to treat Trump as dangerous and toxic have stopped describing him in those terms and have instead reduced their complaints about Trump to simply, he's unelectable. He's not the best candidate we can nominate. So you have people like Bill Barr saying that that Trump is likely to lose and and pushing people to nominate somebody else. I think he will be self-indulgent in a new administration and won't be as effective as he could otherwise be. But not saying he's unfit and dangerous to be president. So that whole idea in the political culture has diminished, which is very strange because the actual substantive evidence that Trump is dangerous has gotten much stronger since the 2020 election. Since the 2020 election, Trump, of course, tried to overturn the result, ginned up uh, a violent attack on Congress, and then has gone around promising to take revenge on his enemies in office and saying that presidents should be allowed to commit crimes to any degree they want. He says, you're not going to be a dictator, are you? I said, no, 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 other than day one. So however dangerous you thought Trump was in the fall of 2020, he's significantly more dangerous now. But that's the opposite of how mainstream Republicans have reacted. I got the sense in 2020 from talking to the people that a lot of people who were disappointed that Biden was the candidate after all the primaries, after all the options, thought, well, you know, you got to beat Trump. We got to save the republic. We'll hold our nose, vote for Joe Biden. But it's going to be a one-term thing. He picked Kamala. She's going to be the candidate. Buttigieg is waiting in the wings. Whatever it might be, there was a sense that Biden, of course, will usher in the next generation of leadership because he's too dang old. Do you think that's part of the issue here, that people didn't realize this would be a two-term thing? Yeah, that's absolutely a reason. Biden says that he never promised he would 
step down after one term. And it's true, he didn't promise that. But that idea was floated and people heard it. This week, four unnamed Biden advisors told Politico that the candidate has been quietly telling people that if he's elected, he would serve only a single term. The strategy is designed to appeal to younger voters who are unexcited by Biden's candidacy. I think a lot of people still haven't even absorbed the fact that he's going to be the nominee and Trump is going to be the Republican nominee. Uh, low information voters haven't completely figured that out and they don't really understand why that's going to be the case because they got this idea of Biden as a one-term solution. I think the Biden people can make a clever argument that, look, you can't point to a piece of paper where we promised to and signed that we're not going to run again, but, but that's not what people heard. Mm. And four years ago, Biden, despite his age, proved that normal could beat crazy. Do you think he's lost the power to do that? Normal is boring. Normal sounds great when you're living in crazy times, but when you're living in normal times, normalcy is just humdrum everyday life with all the problems you have, right? Biden didn't say he was going to solve every problem in American life, and he didn't solve every problem in American life. There are always difficulties and there's always challenges, and those challenges loom a lot larger, larger when you're living through them. So the challenges we have now would have seemed pretty tolerable during the Trump era when you had the president running around you know, saying bleach is going to kill the virus and and you had fights in the streets and the country was coming apart. But but when the country isn't coming apart and everything's open for business, your normal problems just loom a lot larger. So normalcy isn't really a selling point anymore when you're living it. Jonathan Chait, New York Magazine. Our conversation today was inspired by a piece he wrote there titled, Do You Remember the Ecstasy of Electing Joe Biden? How the Coalition That Defeated Donald Trump Crumbled. You can find it at nymag.com. When we're back, we ask a former Biden White House staffer how the president can build back Biden. Support for the program today comes from Noom, who would like to remind you that your body is like no one else's. Your body is a snowflake, and they want to help you with your snowflake. According to Noom, they build a plan specifically for you based around psychology and biology, even helping you understand why you might crave that one specific food at the same time every day. I've never craved the same food at the same time every day, but maybe Vox's Sarah Frank has. Using Noom, I liked how easy it was to get set up, and I liked their super-friendly features that allowed me to track and input my workouts, goals, moods, and stress levels every day. You can stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. Exaggerations and half-truths aren't new in politics. But now, with AI, people can create fake videos of candidates to sway your vote. I'm former U.S. Attorney Preet Bharara, and I've teamed up with technology expert and law professor Nita Farahani on my podcast, Stay Tuned with Preet, for a three-part miniseries, AI on Trial. 
Our second episode presents the hypothetical case of a hotly contested Senate race that is derailed when the leading candidate is accused of using AI to enhance his performance and hurt his opponent. How are we supposed to know when the technology becomes very difficult to validate something as truth or lies? Do existing laws, policies, and government agencies sufficiently safeguard the political process? Political speech is so tightly protected under First Amendment that it makes regulating in this space a real challenge. And what needs to happen to protect democracy in time for the real presidential election in November? When our elections are so close, where it comes down to nail-biting endings, a few voters here and there can really lead to differences in outcomes. The episode is out now. Search Stay Tuned with Preet wherever you get your podcasts. Explained. 2024 Explained. Hey, I'm Jamal Simmons, former communications director for Vice President Kamala Harris. About a year ago, Jamal left the vice president's office, but while he was there, he was all about messaging. So we asked him to join us because it felt like the message from the Biden White House has been off lately. We asked him what Biden's got to do to get it done this November. The president of the United States, Joe Biden, has a very compelling case to make to the American public. Hmm. And I think um, over the course of the rest of this year, he'll have a chance to make that case. So he'll be talking about you know, 130 plus billion dollars in student loans that have been forgiven. He'll be talking about the first African-American woman to be on the Supreme Court. There's obviously an economy that has gotten historic lows in unemployment. Um, Wages are going up. Inflation is starting to go down. Um, So we're starting to see the economy turn the corner and people begin to have real benefit from the money and the investment of the first couple of years. There's a lot of accomplishments. We've covered a lot of them on the show. And yet it seems that people aren't that impressed, especially when it comes to the economy, which we know affects how people vote. Why do you think Biden is struggling so much to capitalize on his wins? Well, here's the problem with the economy. Um, Inflation, (laughs) right? So uh, even though wages have been going up for a long time, prices were also going up. So people were paying more money uh, for things that they were, you know, not used to. But there's another problem that's happening, which is like a, a general sense of, I think, unease, because looming over our shoulder is the specter of Donald Trump coming back and the MAGA forces that are still talking about what it is they want to do. And abortion has been taken away over the course of this time period. There are all these things that make us feel, I think, a little uncertain about the future, and I think that's a chunk of why people have some some bad feeling about what's going on. And you think once the MAGA nation sort of rears its head in a more tangible way, people might awaken to that and feel a little better about voting for Joe Biden? Well, it's not just that the MAGA nation is going to rear its head like it hasn't been. <laughs> I think the campaign is going to spend a lot of time talking about what's happening uh, coming from the former president. You know, him saying that he wants to be a dictator for at least a day, whoever's been a dictator for just a day, right? (laughs) There's a lot of unease that's out there, but that when these cases are made directly in front of people, the choice will become clear that we can either turn, continue to turn the corner to more prosperity and to some stability, or we can go back to more chaos and uh, an instability that Donald Trump and his forces want to offer. 
uh, we don't love talking about polls on this show, especially this far out from an election. But, you know, it's not that far out anymore. Mm -hmm. And a reason a lot of people are nervous is that it appears that Biden is struggling with people who are traditionally dependable for the Democratic Party, black, Latino voters, young voters. How worried are you about that? Well, everybody should be worried about it because that's the ball game, right? But um, there's a lot of time between now and then. People will tell you, I think I agree with this, it's a lot easier to get a lapsed Catholic to come back to church than it is to convert somebody who doesn't believe in their religion at all. So, uh, <laughs> so this isn't about swaying Trump voters to come vote for Biden. This is really about getting Biden voters to show up and getting a few of those independents who are uneasy about uh, the choice that Trump offers to show up for the president. Mm, but what does he do to get there? I mean, I hear him doing the same old shtick, which is that, you know, democracy is at risk. And, you know, noted election loser Mitt Romney says that that, that strategy is busted. But I mean, like, I believe him because he tried it a couple times, right? He this was This was all Mitt was saying for a few years. That's why you run campaigns. That's why you have advertising. That's why you, um, they're going to, there's just an announcement from one of the super PACs that supports the president. They're going to spend over $100 million in social media advertising. Because what we know now is so many voters aren't even getting, you know, they don't show up in the algorithm, right? Because they're not following CNN or New York Times or the Detroit News where I'm from. Instead, what you have to do is get them information that a friend of theirs believes in and that's willing to share that information with them. Mm. With the vice president, right, we've seen um, some pretty interesting things. Like when I was there, um, she and she's done it since, she started doing these onstage and online conversations with creators, TikTok creators, Instagram creators. We did an onstage conversation with Priyanka Chopra. I'm very excited about the conversation I'm about to have with a woman that not only inspires me, um, makes me feel seen, but also makes me and so many other women and girls around the world feel the same way. When Priyanka put it up, it turned into like the number one news post on Instagram for that day, right? The, the vice president hosted the 50th anniversary of hip hop at her house. Like the, the videos from that like showed up all over the place. Shout out to the vice president. She sure knows how to throw a party. I gotta say though, the videos that I saw were like videos of her getting roasted for hosting a hip hop event when she used to be putting people away for for drug use when she was a DA in the Bay Area. I don't know how much I believe that Kamala Harris even likes rap music. I'm being real. She definitely doesn't like black men. Feels like every positive post I see about the Biden administration comes with like three negative ones. How are they going to fight that? Well, let's just remember that not that's not all organic. <laughs> Some of it is organic. It's not all organic, though. Some of that is like there's a narrative about her that conservatives are pushing, maybe other people are pushing, and they and they keep that going. But here's the thing. You can't walk away from it, right? So what you can't do is say, because my opponent is going to say something bad about me, that I can't engage the community. And where you start today isn't necessarily where you're going to end up six months from now. And so what happens with people is they hear messages over and over again. And by the time you get to the point of the fall, um, those messages have sunk in in a way that maybe they didn't the first time that you've heard them. And that's why you run campaigns. You run campaigns because it's a persuasion, right? And sometimes you're just persuading people to show up. You're not persuading them to change their mind. You're persuading them just to show up versus stay home. 
But this gets to something I want to ask you about, Jamal, because I think you're implying that some of the the negative stuff we're seeing about the president, the vice president is coming from the right. But I can promise you that I am seeing stuff coming from the left. And this connects to, to what we spoke to Jonathan about, which is that Biden seems to have lost his hold on this coalition. He seems to be losing the far left, maybe even the not so far left. How do they win them back? It takes a horse to beat a horse, right? So you got to you can't just walk, like we just said, you can't just walk away from the fight. You put your content in, they put their content in, and then you battle it out over time. And that's the nature, you know, the game. And as, and you hope that you have something more compelling to say than your opponents do, and that that compelling argument penetrates what people really care about. You know, I want to ask you a question, Jamal, because you were in the vice president's office, you were on her team. I think a lot of people in 2020 who voted for Joe Biden thought that he was a bridge to a future Democratic Party. Why do you think it was that he decided to run again and not step aside and make room for someone else? Because obviously that's an issue on the mind of a lot of voters. Well, it's kind of gets back to how you started the question. He said he was a bridge to get us through the Trump era and we're not through (laughs) <laughs> right? Like, the Trump era is not over. Donald Trump's still here. Um, he still poses the most serious threat to American democracy. And I think uh, Joe Biden sees himself, and I would argue maybe he's right, as the most likely, most credible person to take on Donald Trump and beat him. How do we know that? Because he's the only person who's ever beaten Donald Trump in an election. And he can hold together um, a part of the electorate that many other Democrats may be challenged to hold together. Jamal Simmons, he used to work at the White House. Miles Bryan used to work at Nokomis Shoes in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Now he's at Today Explained, where he made our show today. Matthew Collette edited, Laura Bullard fact-checked, Patrick Boyd mixed. Why you should be paying close attention to the election in El Salvador on the program tomorrow. Until then.